And let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are indeed an awesome God. We ask for your forgiveness when we forget that on a daily basis. Thank you, Lord, that you give us reason to declare your praises. Thank you that you were there in the beginning, that you are, you are unchanging, you are eternal, you are the source of all love. And Lord, I pray as we turn to this wonderful psalm that I think at least in, in many ways helps legitimize the different emotions that we go through as human beings that you have created in your image. As we learn about what it means to express a full range of emotions in prayer, please, would this psalm be a real comfort to us? Please, would it change us that we might be a comfort to those around us who are walking in pain? Father, help us to learn together. Please, would you speak to us by your spirit and please help us to leave here, change people as we encounter an awesome God. Amen. Great, guys. Well, do take a seat. Uh, we're looking at Psalm 102 tonight, but don't turn that up yet because uh, we're going to just have a sort of extended introduction to help introduce the theme of this sort of psalm. Then I'm going to ask Tilly to come up and read the psalm to us, and then we'll look more in more, more detail at Psalm 102. Um, don't know if you knew this, but there are 150 psalms. I hope you know that. Uh, there are 66 psalms that are laments, which means that 44% of all of the psalms are prayers cried out to God from people in pain. I didn't know that until I did a bit of background work. Um, but that's hugely significant when we come to think about prayer. If, if the Psalms are kind of God's hymn book, uh, when you think about the fact that 44% of all the Psalms are laments, crying out to God, I hope that gives you some encouragement that our prayers don't always have to be prayers of thankfulness. Sometimes our prayers, often our prayers can be cries of pain, cries of loneliness, Cries of just a, a, a deep expression of what's going on in our heart. And if that percentage of the Psalms is given over to laments, then perhaps that could be a reflection of the way God is calling us to pray. Uh, I'm not sure if that's true in our lives or not. Just by way of introduction, if you can put the, the first slide up, please, Norman. Uh, as you read in the, the Psalms, there are a number of kind of individual laments. If you're taking a note, you might want to look at some of these. If you just skip through the reading, because um, that will be read later. Uh, and stick the first psalm up. There's a number of individual laments. So there's some examples in the scriptures. Um, so if you want to take notes and have a look later, uh, Psalm 3 is a good example of an individual lament. I'm sure you'd be familiar with these words from Psalm 22. Uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hopefully we can think about who it was who cried that out and where he was. He was recalling one of these psalms of lament, Jesus Christ. Uh, psalm 57 psalm 88 as you think about individual laments what implications does that have for your prayer life as an individual crying out to god i hope that you see in some of these individual laments that it's a good thing as you for you as an individual to cry out to god but you also get um corporate laments kind of laments of god's people as they gather together um here's some good examples psalm 44 psalm 74 uh, Psalm 74 is very stark. It, it says in it, uh, why have you rejected us forever, O God? Think about that as a psalm. It's not true because God does not reject his people. But here is a person who belongs to God who still declares that to God. God, you have rejected me. Well, why is that there? It's because this psalmist was feeling that in the moment and just speaking it to God. Even though it wasn't true, it was an expression of where they were at. 
Uh, it's really important, Psalm 80. So again, you could look these up when you go home, but the, the Psalms are full of individual laments and corporate laments. Um, Psalm 88, if you're listening on the recording later on, I, I put on the screen Psalm 88, verses 6 to 9, uh, verse 14 and verse 18. What I'd love you to do is just either on your own or perhaps with the person next to you, read this psalm and just answer this question. How does it make you feel? You can look it up in your Bible or read it on the screen behind me. How does it make you feel reading these words of Psalm 88? I'll just give you a few moments to have a think. And one commentator commenting on this psalm said this. I, I love these words. This psalm is an embarrassment to conventional faith. I think that's brilliant. It's an embarrassment to conventional faith. Because here is someone who's sort of declaring things that we ought not to say as Christians. But it's there for a reason to say to you, you can say these sort of things. And you can say these things in prayer. And you can have a good rant with God. He's big enough to take it. Yes, this psalm is an embarrassment to conventional faith. But I think as you come to the psalm's lament, sometimes, uh, it's not a word, but I've invented it. uh, Some people think that these sort of laments are acts of unfaith or immaturity. But I think actually they're here in the scriptures to say to us that actually they can be seen as expressions of very bold faith. To be able to pray to God with this kind of honesty when you're not feeling close to God or you think he's abandoned you, to actually say that to him, I think is more a sign of maturity than immaturity. And so though this psalm is an example, might be an embarrassment to conventional faith, it shouldn't be an embarrassment to robust biblical faith. It's there in the Bible for a reason. Um, God can handle your rants, and he can handle my rants, and he wants us to cry out to him in pain. Uh, Listen to these words. This is Don Carson, who's a great American scholar, um, who's a great brain, but it's wonderful to hear someone with such a big brain speaking so sensitively. Look what he says. There's no attempt in Scripture to whitewash the anguish of God's people when they undergo suffering. They argue with God. They complain to God. They weep before God. Theirs is not a faith that leads to dry-eyed stoicism. That means kind of just keeping going. But to a faith so robust that it wrestles with God. Do you ever feel like you can wrestle with God in prayer? Have you ever wrestled with God in prayer? Um, just to share some of my story, this week's been a, a tough week for various reasons, some things personal, um, some things as I've uh, walked alongside other people who've been really hurting. And it's been one of those weeks where, really timely in God's providence, I've been preparing to preach on this particular psalm because it's been a week of, at times, ranting to God, expressing pain, personal pain, and feeling the pain of others, and just being honest with God in prayer. But there's something very liberating and freeing in doing that. I remember another time in my life, I was much younger. I was in a really bad place. Something terrible had happened, and I was really feeling the pain. And I remember walking beside a lake. I remember exactly where it was. I'd gone for a drive, and I found this lake, um, bulrushes. And I remember walking down. It was a very dark sky, kind of like an evening light tonight, where it's probably going to bucket it down later on. I remember exactly where I was. I was feeling so much pent-up frustration and anger in my heart. Because I've been praying for a situation, it just did not look like God was intervening. And I remember no one was around, at least I don't think they were. I screamed at God really loudly, really loudly. It was like me shaking a fist in defiance. I was really feeling the pain and I just let it all out. But actually, as I look back, I think it was one of the most powerful prayers I ever prayed. It didn't even start, Dear Lord, with anything pious. I just ranted at God. 
but it was an expression of the deep felt, felt pain that there was in that moment. And I think it's a hugely powerful thing because in that moment, as I reflect on it, I probably felt a little bit like the little child who's banging on daddy's chest. And daddy just holds the child until they run out of steam and just says, I love you. And that was just a little reflection of, of perhaps something that's going on in these psalms. As you come to the Psalms of Lament, uh, they don't always follow this pattern, but if it's helpful, here's a sort of typical pattern. It's not a a rule or a principle, it's just an observation. Lots of the laments you see in the scriptures follow this pattern. There's a kind of address to God, where the psalmist addresses God. There's some sort of a complaint, that's the kind of shaking the fist moment. Um, There might be a request, often it's take this pain from me. Uh, In some of the Psalms I've read this week, the, the psalmist literally says, take my life from me. I don't think I can keep going. Uh, And then towards the end, often, despite letting out all this emotion, there's an expression of trust which comes after the lament. And that's just a typical passage in the Psalms, and they're wonderful when you read them. Um, So turn to Psalm 102, and uh, Tilly's going to come and read it to us. And I'm just going to try and work through this psalm with us tonight. Uh, Rather than sort of preaching in a normal sense, I just want to make some observations from this psalm. So Tilly's going to read it to us. Um, Psalm 102. Thank you. So as Steve mentioned, it's a man who was afflicted, lots of pain. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. For my days vanish like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. My heart is troubled and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food because of my loud groaning. I'm reduced to skin and bones. I am like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake. I have become like a bird, alone on a roof. All day long, my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse. For I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears. Because of your great wrath, for you have taken me up and thrown me aside. My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come. For her stones are dear to your servants. Her very dust moves them to pity. The nations will fear the name of the Lord. All the kings of the earth will revere your glory. For the Lord will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. He will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. Let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. The Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. From heaven he viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners and release those condemned to death. So the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when the peoples and the kingdoms assemble to worship the Lord. In the, source, in the course of my life, he broke my strength. He cut short my days. So I said, Do not take me away, O my God, in the midst of my days. Your ears will go on through all generations. In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth. 
and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be discarded, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Teddy, very much. I don't know if uh, any of that that you read there resonated with your heart. Just, just looking around even tonight, I am aware that there are certain people here in real pain for different reasons. And I'm sure plenty of others who are hurting and I don't know about. But I hope there's things in this psalm that are going to resonate with your own experience. So I want to begin by making a few observations just as you look through this psalm. And none of these things are rocket science. They're all there. But first of all, just a series of observations to help us to see that life can be incredibly painful. Uh, it's almost stupid me telling you that because I'm sure you know it. Um, but let's see how the psalmist um, expresses that life can be incredibly painful. Uh, have a look on the screen. It shouldn't be verse 23. It should be verse 1 to 2. You see that this is a psalm of someone who's desperate, who's really broken. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. So this isn't a person who is praying to God, thinking about pain that they've perhaps experienced in the past. This is someone who's going through something really tough. Um, and this is a prayer of a desperate, broken person. A couple of other psalms. Psalm 34 has the words, um, God is close to those who are crushed in spirit. Do you ever feel crushed in spirit? Uh, psalm 40, the psalmist declares, um, I have troubles without number that surround me. This sense of just being totally overwhelmed with life or a situation. So life can be incredibly painful. And uh, we see here a prayer of a desperate, broken person. Notice, too, that pain is often all-encompassing. I am a physical being, an emotional being, a spiritual being. When I'm affected spiritually, it can affect me physically and emotionally. When I'm affected emotionally, it can affect me physically and spiritually. When I'm affected physically, it can affect me emotionally and spiritually. Pain is all-encompassing. Look at the psalm here. Notice how the pain that this person is going through affects their whole being. You get in, in verse 3, perhaps an indication of a fever. This person's physically ill because of the pain they're going through. My bones burn like glowing embers. It could just be someone who's really physically ill, either from an illness or through the pain of something else emotionally they're going through. Look, notice verse 4, there's a loss of appetite. A common symptom of a person who's suffering with depression, perhaps. Now, there's sleeplessness, verse 7. I'm sure we all know what it's like to lie in bed for many hours at night, sometimes even through the whole night, and you just cannot sleep. Here's an expression of, of something that is consuming a person in their entirety, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. They're consumed by sorrow. So life's painful. It, it can cause desperation. It can be all-encompassing. Notice, too, that pain in life often can be very lonely. You get this picture of the desert owl, verse 6. Among the ruins, like the bird alone on a roof. Sometimes pain can be incredibly lonely, can't it? Either because you are physically lonely and don't know who you can turn to, but often people would talk and say that they're very lonely even in a church. And people can be incredibly lonely in their marriage. They can be incredibly lonely for all sorts of other reasons. Uh, perhaps lonely because they were in a marriage and it's no longer a marriage. All sorts of different ways that we can be lonely. 
Uh, Proverbs 14, verse 10. This is a, a proverb that someone in pain once told me, and actually I've turned to it many times in my life. Proverbs 14, 10, 10 says, Each heart knows its own bitterness. It's this idea that at the end of the day, you alone, if you're hurting, will be the only person who knows how you feel. Even if someone else has gone through something similar, only you know the bitterness of your own pain. But here's an amazing truth. That's not strictly true because it's not only you who knows the bitterness of your own heart, but God does too. And whatever you experience, which you think no one will ever understand this, the wonderful thing is that God does. And that thing should be a great comfort. So pain can be, life that's painful can be incredibly lonely. Notice too that it can be sometimes utterly relentless. Verse 3 and verse 11 talk about the kind of the shadow or the days that uh, come and go. It's this idea that the day starts and it ends and another day starts and it just goes on and on. I woke up sad, I went to bed sad, I woke up sad. The pain just doesn't go away. Uh, And you get it again in in, uh, verse 8. All day long my enemies taunt me. It's this idea that whatever it is the psalmist is going through, the problem doesn't seem to go away. It just feels relentless, this crushing weight all of the time. Final observation. Notice that the pain of life is often very personal. Uh, related to this idea that each heart knows its own bitterness. You see in Psalm 1, the psalmist says, Hear my prayer, Lord. Let my prayer for help come to you. We can all pray, cry out prayers of, of pain, but your prayer of pain is your prayer of pain. Nobody else. When you pray that lament, it's your prayer, which you don't share with anyone else. And there's something wonderful about that, that your prayer matters to God, your prayer is special to God, and your lament is your lament. And we start in this psalm with an individual lament where the psalmist is saying, hear my prayer, Lord, not everybody else's, because I I can't be worried about everyone else. Right now, hear my prayer. And the wonderful truth is that God always hears our prayer. Um, But notice also, not only is pain um, very personal, it's not individualistic. So look at the psalm, how it starts with the individual talking about their pain, and then it moves. So look at verse 14, sorry, 13. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, a reference to Jerusalem, to God's people, for it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come, for her stones are dear to your servants. What the psalmist is saying is, I'm in great pain and I'm crying out to God, but I recognize that I'm part of a community where other people are experiencing pain and together we cry out to God. That's really important. So our pain is very personal, but it's not individualistic. When you come together as a Christian community in a church, we share each other's burdens. We share each other's pains. Now, the Apostle Paul talks about this, doesn't he? He writes to the Romans and he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And if as Christians we can't do that in church then there's a massive problem, isn't there? If we can't mourn with each other, if we can't share our burdens with each other. Um, Paul writes to the Galatian church, he says, carry each other's burdens. One of the great joys as a pastor is looking at a church and seeing people do this, carry each other's burdens. It's a wonderful joy. It's also a wonderful joy to know that the praying church can carry your burdens and by God's grace, sometimes you can carry people's burdens. But it's what we need to recognize needs to happen in a church. Pain is personal, but it's not individualistic which means we should never be ultimately alone in our pain. But as you look on the screen behind me, uh, life can be incredibly painful. I'm sure some of the things that we've drawn out of the psalm are things that you yourself 
are experiencing right now or can testify to experiencing in your life. And I hope that as you look through this psalm and you see these things, it kind of just legitimizes some of the pain you feel. It's okay to feel these things. This is normal human emotion. And it's good to let it out to God. And uh, kind of if I, if I can, I want to almost give some here some permission to be honest with God. If you feel like you can't be, um, be in embarrassment and don't have a conventional faith. There you go. You've had it. Pray your heart because God knows your heart and he wants to hear what's on your heart. This is a wonderful psalm because it just resonates with our heart. And you go, that's me. I experienced that stuff. And it's right here in the scriptures to help me to pray. So a couple of questions as you reflect on what's on the screen behind me. Uh, I'm sure we all cry out in our pain, uh, often just sort of speaking to ourselves or in our head, maybe crying out to those around us. But do you cry out to God in your pain? It's a wonderful thing to be able to do because God actually understands your pain better than you do. And he's able to help you in your pain better than anyone else. So do you cry out to God in your pain And do you feel that you can be honest with God in your prayers? And if that's something, if you're honest up to now, or maybe you haven't been, uh, maybe listen to this talk again and come back to this psalm. Uh, It's here because God wants us to be honest in our prayers. How are you feeling? Just tell him, because he's our father. Uh, But another application, um, do you let other people cry out in their pain? I think there's something uh, incredibly powerful when you're sharing one another's burdens, where someone's just letting out their heart and the pain they're going through, and you turn to them and you say, that sounds incredibly difficult. I'm really sorry. Full stop. But the problem is we're not often very good at that. Often, and uh, John Hunt spoke about this in the first talk in this series, sometimes we'll end up saying, but then again, it's almost trying to offset the sadness Sometimes we offer the kind of silver lining. Well, at least you don't. And they're words that are meant positively. They're meant to be encouraging. But in the moment when someone's expressing pain, they're not helpful. It's really powerful to be able to say to someone who's in pain, I'm really sorry, that sounds awful. Full stop. Little caveat to that. Of course, we want to help people find God in their pain. Otherwise, what's the point in being a Christian? Of course. But the reality is very often people won't feel they're in a place to be able to find God in that same sentence and perhaps not even that same day. Something hugely powerful about walking alongside someone who's in pain and saying to them, I'm really sorry, that sounds awful. Full stop. And later in God's timing, there'll be a chance to lead them to God, to encourage them with a scripture. But it may not be in that sentence. I don't think we need to be embarrassed as Christians that sometimes we rush so quickly to almost want to get people to God, we don't allow people time to actually legitimately express the emotion they're going through. And I say that with, I think, a degree of confidence because as you look at the Psalms, here's the truth. The Psalmists do find God, but it's almost always after a period of lament. It's after a period of walking with God through pain. So I want to encourage us with that, and and we thought about it a bit this morning in terms of humility. Let's learn to be better listeners and slower to fixing people's problems. Because as Christians, we want to point people to God, but often the timing of that needs to be judged very, very carefully. I spent a bit of time thinking about this this week. Here's a question for you, and if you've got particular wisdom on this, uh, come and chat with um, one of the pastors. We'd love to hear. Uh, What could we do as a church, do you think, to create more space um, to enable people to cry out in, in prayer to God. 
Is there things that we could do practically maybe on a Sunday when we gather to help people to come to church however they're feeling? I think we do lots of things well, um, but maybe there are other things that we could do better. If you've got some wisdom on this, do come and share it because I think this is a really important thing. If church is not a safe place to be who we are, there probably aren't many safe places to go anywhere. So on the screen, life can be incredibly painful uh, and the psalmist writes these things to encourage our hearts But the psalmists do get to God, and we're going to get to God. I want us to reflect on this question. What makes Christian pain different? If you read in the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul's talking to this young church in the context of death. He says this, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And the context there is death. And of course, we don't have no hope in death. That's what the gospel is all about. But equally, I think Paul could easily have said, we don't want you to suffer pain as if you are people without hope. And so let's try and hold these two things together in a kind of tension, the legitimate things you feel in life as it's difficult, but also asking the question, what makes Christian pain different? Here's a few observations. Have a look at verse 12. The word but is an incredibly powerful word in the scriptures. And the word but here comes in verse 12 off the back of this kind of lament or this rant at God, this expression of the pain that this psalmist is going through. But then you get this amazing word, but. And it's only a word that a Christian can pray. Uh, But you, O Lord, sit enthroned forever. That's an amazing difference that being a Christian can give you. It can give you a but in your prayers. But notice where the but comes. It comes after the lament. But notice that it does come. We do get to God, just not always that quickly. Notice the second observation, um, verses 1 and 2. Something that makes Christian pain different is it's pain that is shared with God. Uh, And you can read read the, the verses there. I think it's a wonderful thing, not just to cry out when we're in pain, but to cry to God in our pain. And Christian pain is different because we cry to our Heavenly Father, who we know is always listening and who we know cares. And sometimes even our closest friend isn't available or doesn't really care or certainly doesn't understand, which means that a cry to God in prayer is a wonderful privilege that a Christian has. And we need to count that as a privilege. So what makes Christian pain different? Well, there's a but... It's shared with God. Uh, kind of related, have a look at verses 24 to 27. Um, Christian pain acknowledges who God is. So I said, do not take me away, O my God, in the midst of my days. Your years go on through all generations. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish But you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them and they will be discarded. But you remain the same and your years will never end. See, if you don't know the living God, you can't cry out these declarations, can you? But what an incredible privilege that you do know God and that you can. Um, I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said this. I couldn't figure out where it was, but I I seem to recall. Charles Spurgeon, who was a great Baptist preacher, I think famously said, and if it wasn't him, it doesn't really matter. The words matter, though. He said, do not doubt in the darkness what God has made clear to you in the light. 
Do not doubt in the darkness what God has made clear to you in the light. What he's saying is, in those moments in life, perhaps where you're doing better, God is revealing wonderful truths to you about who he is and you're enjoying your relationship with him. And these become like foundation stones you put down in your faith. And it's easy to believe them when life's going well, but when life gets difficult, it's very hard to believe them. But the writer's saying, don't doubt in those dark moments what God has revealed to you in the light because he's made these truths clear to you. And even if you don't feel that they're true, even in the moment, if you don't want them to be true, the reality is you know that they're true because God revealed them to you in the light. Don't doubt in the darkness what God has made clear to you in the light. Uh, Christian pain acknowledges who God is and it's a wonderful thing to know the living God and in those moments where you're doing better to put your roots down deep in God because that's the well that you draw on when life gets difficult. A couple more and then we'll close. Uh, One of the wonderful things that makes Christian pain different is perspective. Have a look at verse 24. Do not take me away, O my God, in the midst of my days, uh, your years go on through all generations. Remember earlier we looked at days in the, in the sense of the days just roll on and on and on and my pain just continues, it never goes away. But they're my days in contrast to the years of the Lord. It's a Christian perspective that says, yes, I'm living in this broken world and I may live in it for many, many years and it will feel like an eternity. But in God's economy, my life is just a pinprick of everything that God has started and what he will one day complete. And only if you're a Christian do you have that perspective. Because as we've looked at in Sunday mornings, if I don't have that perspective, I am born, I live, and I die, and that's all there is. And if a lot of my life is very, very difficult, it's very hard to enjoy anything in my life. But if I have a Christian perspective that this life is not all that there is, there's a glorious eternity waiting, it doesn't take away the pain, but it gives us a perspective in it. And I don't say that flippantly for those here who live with considerable pain every day. But perspective really matters, and it's the gospel that gives it. Uh, I've reflected a bit this week that the comfort that God often gives us in our pain often isn't a relief from the painful situation. The comfort from God often comes in God himself. He doesn't always take away my pain, but he gives me himself. And when I meet God in my pain, sometimes that is a much more wonderful experience than the pain being taken away at all. Uh, Often it takes time to learn that, though. And the last one we'll look at, what makes Christian pain different? Notice that it's rooted in hope. Have a look at the verses on the screen, 13, 15, 16, 17, and 21, and you'll see the word will. Um, The wills in Scripture are really, really powerful. Let me read them. You will arise and have compassion on Zion. The nations will fear the name of the Lord. All the kings of the earth will revere your glory. Verse 17, you will respond to the prayer of the destitute and hear their plea. And verse 21, so the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion. There's every chance, given the context and and, and the language in this psalm, that this was a psalm written by one of the exiles. So think about what we're doing in the mornings, Daniel God's people in exile. Think about how powerful these wills are in the context of where Daniel and his friends were in captivity in a foreign land, thinking, I'm not in my city and it looks like my God's abandoned me. What is going on? And they're they're able to cry, cry out, God will, God will 
God will. And that is one of the great hopes that helps us as Christians. It makes our pain different because we are rooted in, help, in hope. So as we, as we close, look at the, the two things on the screen. Be encouraged that life can be incredibly painful. And when you experience that and when you cry your pain out to God, he loves to hear it because he knows exactly how you feel. But also be encouraged that this psalm gives us some wonderful glimpses of the gospel that lift us out of our pain and show us that Christian pain can be different and that ultimately Christian pain should be different. And what is it, friends, that ultimately makes the difference? It's Jesus Christ, isn't it? And it's the gospel. Let me explain that as we work through those five things on the screen. How does Jesus make a difference? Because Jesus is the one who gives us the but. The gospel is the but in all the pain. Jesus is the one who enables Christian pain to be shared with God because he is the one who gives us direct access to God in prayer. I wouldn't be able to pray to God the Father without the work of Jesus in my place. Jesus Christ makes the difference because Christian pain acknowledges who God is. And if I want to know what God is like, it's most clearly been revealed to me in the person of Christ. How much do I know that God loves me? Has he not shown in the Christian gospel? Jesus Christ makes a difference helping us to have or experience Christian pain with perspective because the gospel gives us perspective. It says this life is not all that there is and we've been one for an eternity. And without that, it'd be very easy to lose all hope. And Jesus Christ Christ makes a difference because Christian pain is rooted in hope. Hope that he meets us in our pain and one day will free us from it. So I hope some of these reflections are encouraging to us. I hope that they will perhaps this week help us all to pray in maybe a, a more real way to God. I hope they legitimize some of the experiences and emotions that we feel. Um, but be encouraged because if you have trusted in Christ, you have walking beside you day by day a God who loves you and who loves to hear your cry and is never a God who says, I'm too busy. He's never a God who says, that's just small fry. I've got to worry about big things. He's a God who just says, I know your heart. And I love it when my people bring their heart to me. That's the psalm I pray that will encourage us. Uh, it certainly has helped me this week. What I'd love to do uh, to reflect is really hand this time over to us collectively. And I'd love to have a, a time of open prayer. Some people just like to sit quietly in these moments, and that's fine. But if a few people want to lead us in prayer, reflecting on something that we've thought about this evening, it'd be a really encouragement to us. If you've got a strong voice, just lift your voice and pray it out. If you're perhaps more softly spoken, if you raise your hand, I'll, I'll run around with the mic. But it'd be wonderful just to have a bit of quiet, time of quiet and for a few people to lead us in prayer as we encourage each other with some of the wonderful words of this psalm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that this week, in different ways, you've been teaching me from this psalm. Thank you that you don't always give us relief from our pain. You don't always answer the prayers, at least in the way that we would like. But thank you that you give us yourself. And that when we cry out to you, you always meet us in our pain and walk with us. Thank you for that glorious truth. Thank you for the experience of that this week. Please would you help us all to remember it. Amen. Father, I pray for any here for whom right at this moment prayer is too difficult. Well, there aren't even words to express to you. Maybe people feeling so far from you. 
And thank you for the encouragement for these people in this psalm that we are a praying community, that we're a praying family. And please help us this week to carry one another's burdens by praying for each other. Father, thank you that you're with us. Thank you for how this psalm helps us. And I pray this week that we would pray more prayers like this and that by doing so we would grow in our relationship with you and walk more closely with you. We thank you that our hope is indeed built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And Lord, we want to leave here tonight lifting our eyes to our saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we stand, shall we uh, pray together? Lord God, we pray as your people that you would indeed be our cornerstone this week. Help us to build our hope on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Thank you, Father, for the comfort of this psalm. And may we be a people this week who carry one another's burdens and point each other to our Savior, Jesus, that we might grow to love you and share you with a lost and broken world. Amen. Amen. Take a seat, guys. One piece of homework for everyone. Sorry, sorry, you teenagers, you thought, oh, no homework. Well, you've got some, and so have all the adults. Here's a bit of homework. Uh, you can do this homework yourself if you are in pain and struggling at the moment. But you can also do this homework if you're not, but you have to go and find someone who is. Um, so you either need to be in pain or you need to find someone who's in pain. And if you don't know anyone who's hurting, come and have a word, and I can point you in the direction of a few. Here's our homework. It's really simple. Let's pray some prayers this week that are an embarrassment to conventional faith. Let's pray with people some prayers that will be an embarrassment to conventional faith. And maybe this week we can pray this sort of prayer for the first time and encourage each other as we do it. There's our homework, okay? And uh, I pray that it will be an encouragement for us this week. Should we uh, say the grace together to encourage each other that we belong to one church? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.